see, you start face, you thought uh, Facebook originated with Mark Zuckerberg, but not the case. It's, it's as old as the Bible, and uh, obviously just a little play on words. But when I'm talking about Facebook, I'm talking about portraits of faith, biblical characters who had faith in times of trouble. And if we share something in common today, all of us live in a world that's got problems in it. How many can say, I've got more problems than I need? We're in a world that we face challenges. Some of the most necessary employees in any organization are the problem solvers. Well, we live in a world today where we face it, whether we're a Christian or not. But the Bible teaches us how to deal with adversity. When I talk about problems, trouble, I'm talking about adversity, hardship, difficulty. Whether it's in your family relationships, whether it's a, a marriage in trouble or kids that, you know, it's just not working right. Um, maybe trouble at work, we lose our job. How many know trouble is all around us? And the Bible offers helpful answers. And I want to be able to share some of those with you in this series. Our text for the series is Psalm 46, verse 1. It says, God is our refuge and strength. God is our refuge. If, there's, if it's storming outside, if you can imagine the rain is cold, it's coming down like it was a couple days ago, and uh, you, you, run un, you run under the cover of a building, you get inside your car, it's a refuge from the storm. Uh, God is our strength. Uh, all of us, and this is one thing I think that is noted with age, as we grow older we recognize our limitations and we realize the limitation of our own strength, and our strength is sometimes not enough. Well, how many know the Bible says when I'm weak, then I'm strong. I can find strength in God. It goes on to say God is a very present help in trouble. In other words, God is not just the author of a book that's disconnected from us. God is not a faraway God that doesn't care, but God wants to be involved in our lives with whatever challenges we face. And uh, today we're going to go to the Old Testament and talk about a king. His name was Jehoshaphat, and a kind of a funny name. But he was a good king in the southern kingdom of Judah. And their problem was they were facing an army that vastly outnumbered them, and they didn't know what to do. And uh, there's some simple truths that I want to teach you today. These are not intended as a formula. Uh, I'm not saying if you just do A, B, C, D, every crisis goes away. But what I am saying is there's some biblical principles how to walk through the crises, the difficulties of life. And in Jehoshaphat, what we're going to look at specifically is a crisis. All of us will have trouble. Your trouble could be that, uh, I don't know what, your dog had a boo-boo in the house. I mean, that's bad, but, but that's not going to stop life. But how many know if it's a diagnosis from the doctor, if you lose your job, if your spouse walks in and says, I don't want to live with you anymore, that's a crisis that has the potential to stop life where it is. So what do we do? And I've entitled the message, What to Do in a Tight Spot. What to do in a tight spot, and I found a little movie clip to illustrate this. I think it'll make you laugh, and then we're going to 2 Chronicles 20. That was my hair. It's daughter. We got you surrounded. We're in a tight spot. It's coming on out and grab it in. And don't try nothing fancy. Your situation is putting out a hopeless. We're in a tight spot. What in the Sam Hill? We're in a tight spot. I mean, his eyes. Paul always said, never trust a hog while I'm... Come and get us, coppers! Mm -hmm. The boy is leaving us no choice but to smoke you out. 
Our situation is pretty near hopeless. But how many know with God, it's not totally hopeless? You can be helpless, but not hopeless. Let's look at it together. What to do in a tight spot. Second Chronicles chapter 20. We're going to pretty much walk through this whole chapter this morning. Uh, Second Chronicles 20, we go into the nation of Israel. Uh, they're just kind of living, living life and everything's going great. But all of a sudden, the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Meonites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told the king, a vast army is coming against you. Now, at that particular period of time, the nation of Israel was divided in half. It was a northern kingdom and southern kingdom. Judah was the southern kingdom. King Jehoshaphat was a good king. And if you've read your Bible, the books of Kings and Chronicles, they're, they, they, they're parallel books, but they talk about the nation when she does good and serves the Lord, she prospers. But when she becomes pagan, goes into idolatry, turns her back on God, hard times come, difficulty comes. What happens, God invariably disciplines them. God gets their attention, and then they come back to God. And that's kind of the, the pattern of the book of Kings. Well, Jehoshaphat's a good king. He's called the nation back to God. He's taken steps of reformation. And I suggest this is probably a spiritual attack. Uh, not all trouble in our life is spiritually motivated or demonically motivated, but some is. And I suggest when a nation's headed in the right direction and a leader's headed in the right direction, Satan is right there to stop the purpose of God. And that's what happened in this particular uh, setting. Uh, now, a vast army, we don't know how many people were against them. There's tens of thousands in the nation of Judah. But if you could maybe picture it this way. Imagine you're going home at night and... Uh, your car breaks down and uh, you don't have cell phone coverage and it's not too too far to the neighbor's house so uh, you're just going to walk down the road and all of a sudden you're by yourself and there's a car of about six hoodlums pull up next to you and uh, you're troubled uh, you know by the music that's going on and what they're saying out the windows you're in trouble uh, you're not armed you don't have a weapon it's six against one and you left your karate skills at home how many understand what I'm talking about you're, you're walking in high heel shoes and they get out and one of them has a bat and one of them has a chain. Now, how I many know that's, that's, that's a troubling situation? This is just like Jehoshaphat's scenario, vastly outnumbered. Now, sometimes a crisis happens, it's bigger than our ability to fix. And this is what I'm focusing on. Most problems in life, you can take care of it with your credit card, you can take care of it with a prescription from the doctor. But sometimes these things come in life that have the potential to stop us, and Christians aren't exempt. But Jesus said, in the middle of your troubles, I offer you peace and faith and hope. Jesus said this in John 16. Jesus said, I've told you these things, so in me you may have peace. My peace is not dependent on the problem. It's possible to be in the eye of the hurricane and the winds are not blowing. Jesus said this, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And in saying that, he's suggesting to us that just as he overcame, you and I can overcome as well. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. But here's what happened. Jehoshaphat calls all the nation together. Now, they're walking from the surrounding villages. It's a crowd of like 10,000 people. And I want you to see what happened. Uh, verse 3, an understatement, alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. 
I suggest to you this was more than a perfunctory prayer. Oftentimes when we're in a crisis, the first thing we do is call a professional. We call the doctor, we look at WebMD, we call the attorney for legal advice, we call the banker to see if we can get more credit. And these are not bad things to do, but what I'm suggesting the first thing to do is to inquire of the Lord. And notice they proclaimed a fast for all the nation. To fast is to abstain from food, to abstain from pleasure. They turned off the TV of their day, as it were. They unplugged the iPhone, and they just began to seek God because they knew if God didn't help them, they were going to go down the drain. Uh, the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Very, very key in that. This word seeking, it implies more than just a perfunctory prayer or more than just a Facebook post that says, please pray for me, unspoken. It's something deeper than that. But what I want you to see in verse 5, I think it's one of the great lessons in Scripture for the day, but it's how they prayed. Now, if you're like me, when a crisis comes, your prayer goes something like this. Oh, God. If you don't help me, I'm going to lose my car. God, if you don't help me, I'm going to lose my business. If you don't help me, I'm going to die. God, don't you know what's going on? Do you ever pray like that? Yeah, I, the first service did. I guess we're way more spiritual here. But prayer is often a, a petition and a complaint. But I want you to see how this man prayed. He did three things that are great lessons for us. In his prayer, before he asked anything... See, prayer is not to tell God what he doesn't know. In his prayer, he first made a proclamation of who God is. Second, out of his mouth, what God has done. And thirdly, what God has promised. Now, those are worth remembering for a crisis. Who God is, what he's done, and what he promised. Here's verse 5. In his prayer, Jehoshaphat said, Lord, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations... And think about these little Ammonites and Moabites. You rule, power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Now, isn't that better than, oh, God? And, and, and don't you know that when he started speaking like that, his faith started rising? Because our faith is so key to our answer. The second thing, what God has done, God, didn't you drive out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel? And didn't you give it forever to the descendants of Abraham? In other words, he looked back at what God had, did, uh, had done. He declared it, and again, his faith grew. In verse 8, here's a promise he prayed. He said, we've lived in the land and built a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes on us, we'll stand in your presence before this temple. We'll cry out to you in distress, and you'll hear us and save us. Where do you think he got that from? 2 Chronicles chapter 6, when Solomon dedicated the temple, God gave the nation that promise. And the promise was, if in the middle of the crisis, if they would call out to the Lord, God would hear and God would answer them. So in this man's prayer, before he said anything about the problem, he lifted up God for who God was, he declared what God had done, and he vocalized the promise of God that they were standing on. And now, verse 10, he deals with the problem. Here's men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. And notice verse 12. This is not a macho statement. We have no power to face this vast army attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Now, this is opposite of the self-assured, the confident. I may know you can be confident, but also recognizing your limitations. 
And it is a, this is, this is the, a prayer of humility. The, this true humility, total dependence on God. Uh, we have no power. We don't know what to do. But the confidence is our eyes are on God. How many know that God helps the humble? To be humble doesn't mean that you're a doormat and you're a nobody. To be humble is to recognize your absolute need for God. But this prayer, marked by humility, because we can be helpless, but not hopeless. Let me say it again. We can be helpless to do anything about the situation. But we're not hopeless because how many can say God is in control? See, being helpless or out of control is not a bad thing. Unconsciously as a human being, I'm striving all the time for certainty and security. I don't mean to. I just do that. I want enough food in the fridge, and I want something extra in case there's a crisis. You know, I, 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 I want there to be money in the bank. I want to make sure retirement's okay, that all my insurances are in place, just in case. And, and you almost get yourself in a place where you don't need God. But a crisis can bring you to a place where this need is made very at the forefront of your life. Paul had this, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, the writer of two-thirds of the New Testament, he said, We think you ought to know about the trouble we went through. You cannot find, I suggest, a great man or woman of faith in the Bible that didn't have a great challenge to face. You cannot find great spirituality and great faith apart from trouble. Great faith helps us overcome our troubles. It helps us go through them. It helps us endure them. Uh, Paul, he said these words you ought to know about the trouble we went through. And he said we were overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. In other words, the doctor couldn't help me, the attorney couldn't help me, the, the, the banker couldn't help me, nobody was there, my mother wouldn't even answer my phone calls. Are, are you with me today? It was beyond me, in verse 9 says, in fact, we expected to die. Now you cannot find a more helpless place. And if you're here today and if you've gone through the pain of a death, the pain of a divorce, the pain of a rape, you just go down the list, the pain of a loss of a family member, of a parent, you feel helpless to go far. You've lost your job. You've gone bankrupt. You feel like life is over. You feel like I, I cannot go forward. But this next phrase said this, as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God. I don't want to go through a crisis ever again, but if I do, and when I'm in it, and I'll tell you when you're in it, you have an opportunity to grow closer to God than you've ever been in your life because human limitation touches Almighty God. He went on to say, God raises the dead. I thought I was going to die, but God would raise the dead. He rescued us. Notice his faith. He rescued us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. So we placed our confidence in God. He'll continue to rescue us. Come on, somebody give the Lord a good, a good hand today. Now, this is easy to preach when you're not in it. Let's go back to the story now. They've prayed to God, and now they're just kind of standing. Thousands of people are gathered. Verse 14, then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. This man, a Levite, he has a prophetic gift. God speaks to him. And I suggest to you that even though the media mocks it today, God spoke then and God speaks today. The primary way God speaks is through his Bible. The way we determine right and wrong and if the voices of God or not is, are filtered through the Scripture. But God has always been and is a speaking God. In Genesis, the Bible said God spoke and there was. God, all creation is a result of the voice of God. God is a communicating God and God will communicate to you in your darkest moment of despair. Amen. 
Well, Linnell went through her breast cancer. The doctor told her in his office, just matter-of-factly, I guess that's the way they have to deal with all the pain, just matter-of-factly, you've got serious issues here, lady. You have aggressive cancer. If you don't deal with it aggressively, you know, you'll die. And we went in the parking lot and we hugged one another. We had faith in God, but we didn't have any feeling right then at that moment. But a few days later, as we're in this confused state, and why would this happen to the preacher's wife, and all these questions that flood your mind, I'm reading my Bible. And I'm not looking in a concordance for a verse on healing. I'm just reading my Bible to be with God. And this obscure scripture of the day that had nothing to do with physical healing, the little phrase said, all is well. And it was just like God was speaking to me. It's called a rhema or a living word where the logos, the written word of God, becomes life-giving. How many many have had that happen to you? Sure you have. Well, the Spirit of the Lord comes on this man, and this is what the Lord says. Don't be afraid or discouraged. Fear and discouragement are the greatest challenges you and I face in a crisis. Because fear is like water to the fire. When you be, it's getting cooler outside again. I'll probably be a little fire tonight. Listen, I'm going to put dry wood on that. I will not put water in my fireplace. You might put a little on the grill to control the flames, but you don't put it. If you put too much water, it'll, it'll, it'll quench the flames. Well, that's what f- a fear can do. And then he said this amazing little statement. The battle is not yours, but God's. Now, how many Christians in the room? Wave your hand at me. You know what it means to be a Christian? It means you belong to God. The Bible says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. If I'm a Christian, I'm his son, I'm his daughter. I'm adopted into his family. He has a responsibility to take care of me, to be with me. He didn't leave me alone. The deist believes that like the old-timey alarm clocks, they wound it up and God just wound up the universe and put some laws of physics and uh, laws of thermodynamics and just let it go. But that's, God is an intervening God in life. I tell all of my children and people that I love that go on missions trips, I say, listen, if you ever get in a tight spot, if you're in trouble and you cannot get out of it, you call me, I'll do everything in my power to help you. I give my kids a credit card and I said, listen, now don't, this, this is not to go to the movies. <laughs> but if you get in trouble somewhere, dad will help you and if this is not enough, I'll come up with more. Or, or with, that's what a father does. I tell missionaries when they go on the field, if you get in a crisis over there, and I'm not your God, you're going to have to pray your money in. But if you get in a crisis and you can't help yourself, our church will help you get home. This is what God is like in, in, a, in a magnified way. The battle is yours. But how many know prayer is important, but prayer is not enough? Prayer is important, but we've got to do something. Verse 16, here's what they had to do. Tomorrow, God said, march down against them. This vast, overwhelming army, you march against them, but you'll not have to fight. You take your position. That is, get your army out there. They'll, uh, you know, they're ready for battle, but you just stand firm and see the deliverance God will, has, will, will give you. God is still a speaking God today. God speaks to us through the Scripture. He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. He speaks to us through the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians talks about the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom. Uh, uh, the Bible talks about dreams and visions. Before I preached to you, I shared that I felt the Lord had showed me something. He gave me just a little picture of people that w- were in unforgiveness. 
Well, what was that? That was a prophecy or a word of knowledge. Now, how many know just because somebody says the Lord said something, we don't automatically take it for granted? You compare it to the standard of Scripture. You do what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians. You don't despise prophecy, but you prove all things. You test it, but you hold fast to that which is good. I shared that same scripture last night, or that, that, that thought last night that I felt was from the Lord. A woman comes to me after church, and she, with tears in her eyes, she said, thank you so much for taking that personal moment. God was talking to me. What, what does that mean? God is a speaking God. Uh, let me show you a picture here. I want you to look at that phrase, the battle is not yours, but God's. Now, the, the picture's not great. This is probably from the first iPhone that was ever developed. Uh, this is David and Goliath. They didn't have uh, uh, Androids back then, but I think this was the first iPhone. <laughs> David is a boy, 16, 17 years of age. He's facing a giant, huge man. He's facing a man of military might and power, and this little boy doesn't even have his own sword to go out there. This little boy is standing on the behalf of a nation and he's flowing in the will of God. And the scripture says in Samuel, the, this is what David said, the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he'll give you into our hand. Isn't it the same thing that we hear in Jehoshaphat? Let me give you another picture. It's from Elisha. Uh, what you see here, the prophet Elisha, this, the picture is inside the city with his servant. And all the people that you see on the horizon there, they're the king. They're mad at Elijah the prophet because he's prophesying judgment and famine when the nation is in sin. But yet look up top in the unseen world. Those are, as scripture will say, chariots of fire. It's a picture of God's angelic host. Listen to this passage, 2 Kings 6. An army with horses and chariots has surrounded the city, and the servant says, Oh no, my Lord, he's talking to Elisha, what shall we do? Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. And then he said this amazing thing, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. What's he saying? Angels are real. Can I tell you, friend, angels are real today. I don't know what angels do during church. But there's got to be a bunch of them when we come together. Are you with me today? You can't see into that world. And we live in a world today that mocks anything. It mocks the supernatural aspects of Christianity. They don't mock other religions, but Christianity is open game. They've mocked our vice president. They've mocked other people that would say that, that God speaks to them. And, and, and the scientists of today would say that unless I can see it under a microscope, unless the, the telescope or the Hubble can reveal it, unless the truth theorem can prove it, then it's not real or true. But the Bible teaches that there is an unseen realm. It's like if you can imagine if there was a giant zipper that we could unzip, we could see behind the seen realm and we could see in the supernatural. And that's what Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so he can see. And the Lord opened his eyes and he looked and he saw hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So why do I share that with you? Because that same God is at work in our lives today. That same God with the same power and the same angelic host, come on, can rescue the believer who's on a mission from God, and God can help us with impossible things. Now, look at the response, verse 18. Thousands of people, and they bow down with Jehoshaphat with his face to the ground. 
And all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. Can you imagine the rumors that were going through that city? I live in Redwater, and a couple days ago, I got a text message from a friend, and it was on Facebook that there was a warning that there was going to be a school shooting in Redwater. And before I know it, my wife, who is in Thailand, you pray for them, they're coming back uh, Tuesday, I think, two-day travel time, but she said she got a, 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 a transcribed message from the school superintendent, said that there was a, it was a rumor of a school shooting, but they're taking all precautions. And then later on, I read that Sheriff Prince comes out and said, we've investigated and this was nothing at all. And thank God for Sheriff Prince and good law enforcement. But what am I getting at? Rumors have power. Imagine if you lived in Judah's day, if you lived in Jehoshaphat's day, and you're a mom and you've got four or five kids and you look out on the horizon and you don't see smog like in modern cities today, but you see dust from this great army and you know that they rape women and they take children. Are you with me today? And they kill husbands and they take everything you've got and the captives are made slaves. Don't you know that you're afraid and scared to death? And they're all looking at their phones and they're saying, you know, they're doogling and but they're trying to figure out what's going on. And when God speaks, a new dynamic is introduced in the mix. They're going around. They don't have loudspeakers. They don't have, you know, mass emails and texts like we do today. They, they, it had to go through the crowd. And the crowd had to pick up faith. And the crowd had to respond in worship to God in a big way. Well, this is what's happening. But how many know it's always easier to preach about something like this than it is to live it? They're still in the middle of trouble. They got a good word from the Lord, but look at verse 20. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. Have you ever seen a bird fly with one wing? I hadn't either. I have a lot of windows on one side of my house, and I feed the birds, and periodically a stupid bird will fly into the window. And every once in a while, you know, his little head's doing like that, but, but he'll also, his little wing will be kind of cupped and hoping the cat's not around. And when I come to get him, he'll try to fly with one ring, and he can't. He just goes in a little circle. It takes two wings to fly. It takes God doing his part, but it takes us doing our part. You will not get delivered if you stay home and pull the covers up over your head. Early in the morning, they left. In other words, you got to hear God, and whatever you feel the Lord prompts you to do, then you do it. Now, that's easy to preach about in church, but how many know it's pretty hard sometimes to hear the Lord and know what to do? But in the best of our ability, we act in faith. So early in the morning, they leave for the desert. And as they set out, Jehoshaphat's a good leader. He said, have faith in the Lord and have faith in his prophets and you'll be successful. Why? Because he knew they were still afraid. But then he did the strangest thing. Now, if you've turned me off in the message, turn me back on for this last part. Verse 21, he appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him. As they went at the head of the army. And these, this, this choir said, Give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. And implicit in that is, God is going to deliver us. So they've got their swords and shields and all that. When you see the old movies about the Roman soldiers and all that, what do they do first? They take the arrows and shoot them in the air, and then they sling fire in the air, uh, and, and, and then the horsemen go out. Well, they didn't do any of that. They're going out singing. And they're praising the Lord. And verse 22 is the pivotal verse. As they began to sing in praise, the Lord set ambushes against the enemy and they were defeated. As they began to sing in praise. Uh, praise and worship is the language of faith. 
And it is an activator. It is the trigger. It is the switch. Uh, I can have a, a shotgun, and that shotgun has the power with a, the right bullet in it to, to kill a turkey at 60 yards away. That's a long ways. It can shoot a duck out of the sky. You can take that same shotgun, and, and God forbid, but if you shot a man that close, it would blow a hole in him that big. If you, I mean, tremendous power. But that gun will do nothing until you pull the trigger. Praise pulled the trigger. Praise activated it. You, you, you can be at work. You can have uh, your, your, your truck, big, powerful Ford truck, not one of these little Chevys or Toyotas. Or... You can have that trailer full of rocks ready to climb the mountain, and it's cranked up. But until you put it in gear, nothing's going to happen. Faith is the gear. Praise is the gear. See, I know I lost half of you there with the Chevy <laughs> comment. I apologize. But as they began to sing in praise, the Lord set ambushes and they were defeated. What does that mean? We don't know who the ambush, ambush people were. It could have been angelic folks. It could have been some of the people from Mount Seir. But all we know is that God manipulated the people in the environment and they started shooting the Moabites and Ammonites and the Moabites and Ammonites, who basically had been marching towards to kill them, let me know there's, there's, a, there's a, even though we say we're from Texarkana, you're either for Arkansas, come on now, Arkansas high or Texas high in the big game. That's the way it works. Oh, you're for Pleasant Grove, okay. Okay. This is my story, okay? But they're walking, the Ammonite and Moabite are walking towards the battle, and all of a sudden, this guy says, man, you stink. And he says, what do you mean I stink? I said, man, you stink, and your mama probably stinks. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he stops, and all the people marching with him stop, and he pulls out his sword, and he said, what did you say? He said, you heard me, and he goes, pow. And all of a sudden, they start killing each other. You say, well, well, how do you know that? Well, I kept reading. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy them. They finished slaughtering the men from Seir. They destroyed one another. You say, that's impossible. Doesn't the Bible say all things are possible? Come on now, for him who believes. The men of Judah came to the place, and there was only dead bodies laying around. No one had escaped. Now, let me tell you this. Faith acts. They had to do their part. But what I want you to really grasp today is that praise releases spiritual power. There is power in your praise. There's nothing more profound spiritually that you can do in a crisis than to praise the goodness of God in the midst of it. And even better, when you have a promise from the Lord, not just something you're hoping for, but a clear word from the Lord. When I was in, and I'll share more perhaps in another message, but when I was in the worst time of an anxiety disorder, I was almost unable to function in life. I, I, was, in the, I was seeking God, obviously, and I was praying and all that stuff. But I got out of bed one day, and unsolicited for me, it was a suddenly moment. I heard the Lord as clear as a bell say to me, when, say to me that when he has brought me back that I would strengthen the brethren same words that he said to Peter when you have returned to me strengthen the brethren 
And I knew it was the Lord. And it gave me something to hold on to. It gave me a confidence. And then when I began to pray about that and sing about it, I would say, Lord, I just want to praise you today because even though I feel lousy right now, I want to praise you because you're going to return me to a place of ministry. I want to praise you, Lord, because you're not done with me. I want to praise you because you began the good work in me. Come on. And you're going to bring it to completion. I want to praise you, Lord, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm telling you, there's power in the Word of God and the praise of God's people. And it's not just an Old Testament concept. Let me, let me read, read a passage to you in Psalm 149. It says, let the praises of God be in their mouth and a sword in their hands. This was the Old Testament literal battles to execute vengeance on the nations. This is the privilege of his faithful ones. So a New Testament passage in Acts 16 verse 25 and I must apologize for my earlier remark about the android. This was the first android picture here. Let's see it. You can barely see it, but, but it's, it, it's a, I know it's a bad picture. But this is Paul and Silas. You know I'm just teasing. All right. Paul and Silas is who it depicts, obviously. They're in prison, and their feet are in stocks. They didn't have groups standing for the rights of prisoners back then, all they've done is done something good. They helped a girl who was oppressed by a demon get better. And when she did it, she could tell the future, and they got angry. The people that owned her used to make money, and they had them thrown in prison. And this is where they are, two men that were out doing good, and it's at midnight, and the Bible says they are... Listen to what the Scripture says. The Scripture says at midnight they're praying and singing hymns to God. Suddenly, there's a massive earthquake, and all the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. This idea of power in praise is not just something restricted to an ancient book. I want to tell you, friends, it's in the old, it's in the new, and it'll work today. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Let me close. Verse 25, back to Jehoshaphat. All the, the armies are dead. He and his men go to carry off the plunder. The plunder is the stuff. Equipment, clothing, articles of value. There was so much it took three days to collect it. Now, there's probably, I don't know, four, four, five hundred people in, in, in the congregation now. If someone were to gas the congregation and we all passed out, except me, I could probably, <laughs> I could probably steal everything you got in an hour. I could take your purse and put my hand in your pockets and your billfold and get me a big bag and I could probably fill it up in an hour or two hours. I could get Robert to help me. We'd get it in an hour and a half. <laughs> there were tens of thousands of soldiers and it took them three days. So what's the point in this? When we go through a, something horrible and a crisis and we remain faithful to God, God is likely to bless us on the other side. See, God's not there just to see how much we can endure before we break. He is still a good, good father. But what I want you to see, after three days of gathering, the fourth day, they came back. And you know what they did? They praised the Lord. Because God caused them to rejoice over their enemies. And then the kingdom was at peace. For God had given them rest on every side. When we're in a crisis, what we want is peace and rest. But sometimes it's a hard way to get there. And if I could summarize the points we talked about this morning. When you are in a crisis... 
the most important thing you can do is seek God diligently for help. And the second thing you need to do is you need to pray in faith, believing that God's going to show you what to do. And to the best of your ability, when he shows you, go forwards. Do what God says. And the last thing that we learned again this morning is praise God before and praise God after because he's worthy of our praise. Come on, let's give him one more big hand today. We love him. Why don't you stand to your feet here, and we're going we're gonna to close in prayer today. You know, it's great to look at a story like this in the Bible, isn't it? It's grateful to be inspired by what can happen and what, what happened before. But you know, not every crisis in the Bible has a clear explanation. If you look in the New Testament, Acts chapter 12, it's a crisis, sure enough. The early church is growing like crazy. The Jews are doing everything in their power to stop it. And King Herod finds one of the leaders. His name is James. And without any explanation or whatsoever, in one verse, it says they cut James's head off. And the next verse, with no explanation, no answers. The next verse, Peter's in prison, and the Bible says he gets arrested, and they're going to kill him. And the Bible says the church is praying. And one of the greatest miracles in all of the New Testament happens when the church is praying. An angel comes in that jail cell and supernaturally releases Peter. And Peter walks out in the presence of everybody and they don't even see him. I cannot explain to you the difference between James and Peter. I can tell you we live in a world that's filled with evil. I can tell you sometimes we see our victories on this earth. But I promise you, the victories we don't see on this earth, we'll see in heaven as we stand strong for the Lord. We're in a spiritual battle. And we fight it as best we know how. Could we just take just a moment before we go and do what they did and just praise the Lord? See, this is why we lift our hands. This is why we clap before the Lord. It's praise. Could you just praise the Lord just a minute? Just close your eyes and just thank Him for whatever you want to thank Him for. God, we just want to praise you because you're a good God, that you're the God of all comfort, the God of all kindness, and the God of all mercy. We praise you today because you've never turned your back on us. You'll never forget us. You've bottled up every tear that we prayed. You've heard every prayer. God, we just want to say thank you today. We want to say thank you for saving us. Thank you, Lord, for washing us free from our past. Thank you, Lord, for delivering us from such a wretched life we used to have. God, we want to say thank you today that we got in a car that had heat. We have food in our home. We have a roof over our head. Come on, praise him just a minute. We've got clothes in our closet. We've got health to walk in this building. God, we just want to say together, you're a good, good God. And we welcome you today. Lord, we don't want to have to search for you in a crisis. We just want to keep on praying. So welcome today. Could you just say that? Say welcome, Lord. Welcome not only in a moment of time on a Sunday morning, but welcome as I walk through the rest of my day. God, could I be aware of your presence as I go to bed at night and tell you good night and wake up in the morning and say good morning, Lord? And could I go about my day every day this week being aware that God is real and ever-present help in time of trouble? Thank you, Lord. Let's close this way. We'd like to offer one last prayer for anyone that may need personal prayer. Maybe you're here today and maybe you're in a crisis. Maybe a lot of what I bore witness to today and read in the Scripture, maybe you're living that and you want somebody to pray for you. 
Maybe you're, maybe someone you care about a lot, they're in a crisis. But no matter what it is, we'd be happy to pray for you. Maybe you're trying to find God's will and seeking God's will. And this is kind of like a step to say, pray with me. I need to know, Lord, show me what to do. Whatever it is, we'll, we'll pray for you. But the most important prayer we'd like to pray, and I want you to listen to me, is about your personal relationship with God. And let me say that again, your personal relationship with God. You can look in the skies and stand in awe and know that there's a God, but not know him. I'm grateful that I was raised in church and mom gave me a little Bible when I was a boy, but how many know going to church doesn't make you a Christian? And even praying a prayer, I prayed prayers as a teenager when I was in trouble, asked God to help me, and invariably he did. But after the prayer was over, it's kind of like with my Bible, I put it back on the shelf. See, relationship with God is different. My, my wife's been on a missions trip almost two weeks, and I miss her a lot. I don't like walking around my house by myself. Why? Because I miss the relationship. I miss somebody to talk to. I miss knowing that someone is near, that somebody cares. I miss the things that we do together. You can have a relationship with God like that. Jesus called it being born again. You see, the problem is our sins have separated us from God. Our sin has made God far away. Not so far away that we don't know he's there, but we don't have relationship. But when Jesus died on that cross 2,000 years ago and he said it is finished, what he meant was, I paid the penalty for the sins of mankind. I paid the penalty for the sins that separate people from, from God. And Jesus Christ offers this to all of us. The Bible says, to as many as received him, to those he gave the right, the privilege, to become sons and daughters of God, even to those that would believe on his name. You know, coming to Christ, receiving the gift of salvation is, if I can say it this way, kind of like a birthday present. Your mom can call you and she, say, she says, well, I got your present. I know you're really going to like it. It's something you've always wanted and you're excited. But how many know until you go to mom's house, you're not going to get it? You can ride by the road in front of mom's house every day, but until you put up the car in the driveway and knock on the door or just go in, whatever you do at mom's house, and then say, put your hands out, you'll never receive it. What I'm trying to paint the portrait of is we take a step to God. We pray a prayer. And in that prayer, we ask God to forgive us for what we've done wrong. And we commit our life to follow Christ. And we say, Lord, I want you to come in my life and be my Lord and Savior. I promise you, friends, it's different, as indifferent than going to church and being saved is night and day. Jesus Christ responds to your faith and give you the life that you've always longed to live. Because you'll never find true happiness apart from a relationship with God. And this could be your moment. And if you feel like I'm talking to you right now, that's not me. I'm not asking you to join a church. That's the Holy Spirit calling you to make a step to Christ. So as we begin to sing this last song, our prayer team is coming to the front right now. And if you want to make a commitment of your life to Christ, I want you to just slip out of your chair and meet someone at the cross. Let them pray for you. If you've gotten away from God, but you want to recommit your life to Christ, you come and let us pray for you. We'll meet you at the cross. Our prayer team is coming now. And if you need prayer, most importantly, if you want to make that step of commitment to Christ, we'll meet you at the cross. I love you and thanks for being here.